0: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. You know, it was like any other day when the virus entered our world and disrupted everything. Almost no realm of existence was untouched by it. We were distanced from each other, began living in isolation. When we do interact with each other, it's always with masks And over time, there have been many responses to the virus. Some have denied its existence, refusing to change anything about their life. Others have lived in total fear of the virus, rigidly structuring everything around the slightest possibility of exposure. And this is how we've been living. Up until one day another possibility arose. This way of being kind of inoculated against this virus, it was made available free of charge. Any who wanted could receive this and be freed from the threat of the virus. With this, it would be possible to be together again without distance, without Masks, face-to-face, life as it was meant to be. Now, some of you may think I am telling the story of COVID-19 over the past year. But actually, I am recounting the story that Scripture tells us about sin. Sin is the virus that entered into the world and left no realm of existence untouched. Sin distanced us from God and from each other. Because of sin, we all wear various kinds of masks, covering up parts of ourselves, afraid to show our full selves to each other. Some have denied sin, right? Refusing to change anything about their lives. Others are completely afraid of it, living in paranoia legalistically to prevent the even appearance of sin. And this is the world that we live in. But there is a way to be freed from sin. There is a way to be freed from this virus. There is a way we can be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. There is a way that we can take off our masks and truly live with one another. This way is called the forgiveness of sins forgiveness of sins. And this is the line that we are reflecting on together this morning as we continue through the Apostles' Creed. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is where we're beginning our time together today. We'll begin reading in verse 15 in just a moment. And as we consider this text— And as we reflect on this line from the creed, I want to ask the questions. uh, What is sin? What is sin? And what is forgiveness? What is sin and what is forgiveness? Let's hold these questions before us this morning as we read Romans 7, beginning in verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, my flesh I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good— When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sin. I pray that today as we reflect on this passage together, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. So the question I want to start with this morning, as I already said, is, well, what is sin? What is sin. Now, usually when we think of sin, we think of wrongdoing. We think of bad actions, right? It's a sin to lie. It's a sin to steal. It's a sin to murder. It's a sin to commit adultery. On and on we can go, right? Sin is is wrongdoing, bad actions, and if this is the definition of sin, well, that affects our understanding of forgiveness as well. If this is our definition of sin, then forgiveness is simply pardoning a wrong action, right? No, you're, you're forgiven. You know, I, I need to be forgiven for blank. You know, fill, fill that in. And now there is a sense in which this is what sin and forgiveness are, but we need to look more closely at the text we've just read. Because Paul describes something that includes this, but is much deeper than this. And so look back, Romans 7, uh, verse 15. Paul does refer to actions, right? He begins, I don't understand my own actions. I don't understand what I do, I don't understand my own actions. I I'm, I'm, don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. But this is only the surface of what Paul describes here. In verses 17 and 20, he goes deeper with the phrase, Sin that dwells within me. Right? Sin that dwells within me. I want you to notice a couple things about this phrase, sin that dwells within, right? Uh, First of all, Paul says sin, singular, rather than sins, right? That's curious. Uh, Second uh, is is the location of this singular sin, right? Sin dwells within. Uh, What this shows us is that sin is not merely a variety of possible wrong actions that are external to us. Rather, sin is a singular force that dwells within us. Sin is not just external actions that we occasionally commit, but rather an internal attitude that affects everything that we do. Going back to our opening image of a virus, right? When a person gets the cold or the flu or COVID, they have a number of different symptoms, right? You'll have aches and pains, fever, chills, an upset stomach sometimes, right? On and on, right? There are all these symptoms. Now, you can take Tylenol for your pain and fever. You can take Pepto-Bismol for an upset stomach. But ultimately, these things only treat the symptoms of the virus, not the virus itself. And sin is the very same way. You see, wrong actions are not the totality of sin. They are the symptoms of a much deeper problem. They are the symptoms of something much deeper within us. And too often— we end up treating external symptoms by means of legalistic rules or religious rituals rather than addressing the virus itself, the sin that dwells within. Right? There's this pastor in New York named Rich Veladas, who I was listening to the other day, and he puts it this way. I actually have the quote on the screen. He says, One of the problems of the church is that we often talk about sins without the language of sin. Right? We often talk about lowercase sins without the language of capital S, sin. And one of the ways to keep someone trapped in capital S sin is to simply address sins. But sins are the expression of something much deeper. That is, that capital S sin. Jesus came to free us from the sin beneath our sins. All right? Jesus came to free us from the sin beneath our sins. Some of you know what it's like to live with complicated chronic illness. I've gotten to talk with many of you about this experience, and I understand that it can be absolutely maddening. One symptom pops up, followed by another, and another. Doctors try one thing after another like some terrible game of whack-a-mole. And it can just feel hopeless. It can feel really hopeless and impossible. And this is the kind of angst that Paul communicates with in this passage as he refers to sin. He essentially is saying, I've had one symptom after another, after another. I keep treating it, but it's not getting any better. And then in verse 24, he's so desperate, he just proclaims, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? I'm trapped here, and it's impossible. You See, this is what sin is like capital S, sin. It's not merely a series of external symptoms, wrong actions, but it is a virus that needs to be dealt with. But here's the deal. We can refrain from lying and stealing. We can still be stuck in sin when we do that. We can live our whole lives without murdering or committing adultery and and still be stuck in capital S, sin. We can even go to church every week and read our Bible and still be stuck in capital S, sin. Because sin is not ultimately external actions, things that we do or don't do. It is an internal force that we are stuck in. It's why Paul uses the language of captivity in verse 23. Sin is something that we are captive to. It's not just something we need to stop doing. Sin is something we need to be rescued from. So he asks, who will rescue me from this body of death? And what answer does he give? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is sin? Well, Paul shows us sin is not just a series of external actions, but rather a force that we are internally captive to. And so if this is what sin is, well, then what is forgiveness? If if sin is a force that we are captive to, then forgiveness is not just the pardoning of wrong actions— but being rescued and being set free. And this is precisely what Paul goes on to describe. Let's keep on reading the next few verses at the beginning of Romans chapter 11. have it on the screen as well. He continues and says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh." so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there is so much in these four verses to dig into, but I just want to point out a few things as we consider what is forgiveness together. First, the forgiveness of sins is possible because of Jesus— the forgiveness of sins is possible because of Jesus. You see, if sin is just wrong actions, then forgiveness is just a matter of forgive and forget, right? Just, oh, it's, it's all right. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. You're, you're forgiven. But if sin is a powerful force at work within us, then it is something that doesn't just need to be forgiven and forgotten. It is something that needs to be dealt with. It's something that needs to be destroyed. And this is precisely what Jesus has done when he took on flesh and died on the cross. We see this in verse 3 that we just read. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. That's that capital S, sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, uh, Paul puts this another way in 1 Corinthians 5.21. He writes, "...the one who had no sin became sin, so that we might become God's righteousness." When Paul says he became sin, or in this passage, when he says he condemned sin in the flesh, what he is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, so did sin. When Jesus died on the cross, sin was condemned, sin was destroyed, sin was defeated. On the cross, sin was defeated and disempowered so that it might ultimately be destroyed when God comes to make all things new. Understanding sin and forgiveness in this way also transforms our understanding of God. Because rather than someone who's out to get us because of lowercase s, sins, God is someone who's out to rescue us from capital S, sin. This is who God is. He's not out to get you. He is out to rescue you. This is what he has done in Christ. Forgiveness of sins is possible because Jesus has already defeated capital S sin. It's the first thing we see in in this beginning of Romans 8. The second thing I want to point out in these verses is that the result of this defeat of capital S sin is what Paul writes in verses 1 and 2. The result of this is there is therefore— now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So, because Jesus has defeated capital S, sin, we are no longer captive to it. We are Free. We no longer live under guilt or shame. We don't have to live in paranoia that we might mess up or do something wrong. We're no longer captive. We don't have anything to prove. We don't have to prove ourselves or or do anything. In Jesus, there is no condemnation. We are are free. And the third thing that I want to point out about this really ought to be obvious, but often has not been in our spiritual life. You see, the goal of forgiveness, the goal of this freedom, is life. The goal of this freedom is living. The purpose of the forgiveness of sins is to live. In verse 4, Paul writes about walking according to the Spirit. And then he ends up expounding on this for much of the rest of chapter 8. We don't have time to go into all of that, but, but what I want you to hear is this. The goal of our spiritual life is not just to avoid sin. That's not the goal. The goal of our spiritual life is to live. The goal of our spiritual life is to live, to walk in the Spirit, and to grow in God. And this really becomes obvious when we return to the metaphor of sin as a virus, right? Our our goal in living is not simply to not get sick, But on on a normal day, that's not what we wake up thinking about. Now, this past year, maybe many of us have woke up thinking about that. But in normal life, our goal is not to not get sick. That's not the goal. Rather, our goal is to live. Our goal is to live life. The reason why this last year has been the way that it is, the reason why we've done quarantine and social distancing and mask wearing Is not just to get rid of a virus, but to be able someday to live life together again as it was meant to be. And this is obvious when we think about, you know, virus and health and stuff. But in our spiritual life, we've often become obsessed and paranoid about not sinning. And our whole spiritual goal is to not sin. And I'm saying, if Jesus has defeated sin, well then, we don't, that's not our purpose. He's already dealt with that. We've often obsessed about not sinning and overlooked the real goal, which is living in Christ, walking in the Spirit. This is the goal. This is the goal of our life in God. I first encountered this truth as a teenager, and it transformed my life. I was 14 years old. I went to a a youth group retreat with our church, and I'd been on things like this before and left with all kinds of different spiritual highs and experiences and things like that. I, I, I felt convicted of all my sins. And I vowed to change my ways. But inevitably, I would always end up back where I started. Because I was only paying attention to lowercase s, sins. And I can't say exactly what was different about this experience that happened when I was 14. I can only say that the Holy Spirit had something to do with it. But what I can tell you is what happened, what my experience was. The the theme of this youth group session that we were at was based on a popular song at the time called Ocean Floor. The chorus goes, Your sins are erased and they are no more, they're out on the ocean floor. Your sins are forgotten, they're on the bottom of the ocean floor. And so the speaker was talking about how in Jesus our sins have been gathered up and cast away to the bottom of the ocean floor. And for whatever reason, I mean, I had grown up in church every Sunday, right? I mean, I'd I'd heard this over and over again, but for whatever reason, the truth of forgiveness in this moment stirred my heart in a way that it hadn't before. And one of the primary differences is that instead of just feeling guilty and like, man, I really need to change things, what I felt was free. I didn't just feel guilty and condemned. In Christ, there is no condemnation. I felt free. And as a result of this, After this retreat, instead of just focusing my life on not sinning, I actually came across Acts 2.42, which we read together last week. And I decided to try to devote myself to Scripture, community, worship, prayer. In other words, instead of basing life around not sinning— I began to seek to live in Christ. The goal is not just to not sin, but to pursue Jesus, to really live. It's been a lot of years since that experience happened, and, and life has been far from perfect since then. I've gone through seasons of doubt and struggle but I always come back to that moment where instead of guilt and shame and fear, I felt loved and free. This is the forgiveness of sin. This is the defeat of capital S, sin. It's what it feels like. Freedom. No condemnation. So what is sin? Well, it is a powerful force that we have been captive to, right? What is forgiveness? It is God defeating sin in Jesus so that there can be freedom and life. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about the forgiveness of sins. We're here together, and maybe I'll put it this way. There's this phrase, maybe some of you have heard, that goes like this. Hurt people hurt people. Ever heard that before, right? It's this way of saying that someone who has been hurt is very likely to cause hurt. Someone who has been hurt is very likely to hurt someone else. Hurt people hurt people. Well, the gospel gives us a different phrase to live by. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. You see, forgiveness is something that God has accomplished and we can freely receive in Christ. And as we receive forgiveness, we also offer it. To others. This is something that we actually pray together every week, right? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Because you see, capital S sin does not just keep us captive by the, the sins that we commit. It also keeps us captive by holding us embittered against The sins that have been committed against us. I've heard it said before, I didn't get a chance to write down the quote or know exactly who it's from, but a quote something like this that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it'll make someone else sick. That's what it is to not forgive. You see, we are called to offer forgiveness because it leads to healing healing with others and healing within our own self. It's one of the ways that we join God and what God is doing in the world by being not under the force of capital S sin, but by joining God as a force for forgiveness of letting people go forgiving others just as we have been forgiven something else that might even be harder for some of us is that we are called to offer forgiveness not only to others but also to ourselves there are many of us who day in and day out are racked with guilt And shame. And maybe we pray to God, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And that's a good prayer. But I want you to hear this. There's no condemnation in Christ. You are forgiven. And so if you're wrapped up in guilt, maybe God has already offered forgiveness to you. Maybe you need to offer that same forgiveness to yourself. We offer forgiveness to others, and we need also to offer that forgiveness to our own selves so that healing can occur. And this, too, is a way that we join God in what God is doing in the world by being a people who offer forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive people. This is how we walk with the Spirit. This is how we join God in what God is doing as he renews and restores the world. Who can we offer and extend this forgiveness to? And how can we continue to come before God and receive the love that he pours out? recognizing that he is not out to get us, he is out to rescue us and to draw us in to his great rescue project for the world called the kingdom of God. And so, as we move toward the table together this morning, I want to practice a couple of things that many uh, churches practice throughout the world every week, as they come to the table. Some of you are familiar. uh, Many churches, uh, before coming to receive the the bread and and the cup, take a moment to confess their sins and to turn to one another and offer the peace of Christ. And so I want to try this together this morning. Uh, When we get to the part... When we offer the peace of Christ to one another, you know, it can be tempting to uh, hug and shake hands and stuff. Let's refrain from that for now. Uh, But I encourage you, when we get to this moment, take a moment to look around, look at someone in the face, and just speak these words. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. This is a way of extending forgiveness, extending peace, to one another. And so let's take a moment to confess our sins and offer the peace of Christ. We'll do that for a moment. A song will play, and then Dave will come up and lead us at the table. Let us pray together. We'll join this uh, all together. We can read this prayer. Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now hear these words from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thanks be to God. Amen. I encourage you now, take a moment, look someone in the eye, and speak these words, peace be with you.